You can see in your bulletin that we're turning now to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1. As we press on in what has been our sermon series for several months now, our theme in the series is what we've been calling the habits of grace. The Christian life that we're called to live is a life about experiencing God's grace, and we experience that grace in part as He is pleased to smile upon our own habitual efforts, our own regular efforts to seek and serve Him. And so it is that we can speak of the habits of grace. And let it be underscored, those two things get along very well. That God deals graciously with us, pours out his favor upon us, though we don't deserve it. And, not but, and he does so in part by calling us to rise up and to seek and serve him again and again, taking up gratefully the habits, the rhythms, the routines, the disciplines that he has wisely prescribed for us. The habits of grace. So we spent the first part of the sermon series for several months focusing on the church's worship service on Sunday mornings. What kinds of things do we do as a matter of habit as a church when we get together for worship? And then what we did last Sunday, after covering that ground, was to take a step back and think about Sunday as a whole. Not just the worship service in the morning, but the whole day the fourth commandment. Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Exodus 20, the fourth commandment. Back then, back in Moses' day, it was the seventh day of the week. Now, thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, it's the first day of the week. And what a gift, one day in seven, when we get to stop and rest and feast and resupply as pilgrims through this barren land, one day in seven, That is an oasis for our souls. And it's every week, and it's no mirage, as some oases are. So that's what we talked about last week, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day. That brings us to this week. And this week, I do want to keep going with that Sabbath theme. Because, as I said last week, this is one of the defining habits of the Christian life, and that's what this sermon series is about. This is one of the fundamental rhythms that shapes our lives as Christians, that the first day of the week is a day unlike the six that follow. So I want to keep going with it today. And last week during our sermon discussion, there was a question that was posed that got me thinking further about this theme. And it got me even more excited about this thing. And the question had to do with the fact that, as I just said, thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, 
the Sabbath day shifted from the seventh day of the week to the first. And this was the question that was posed last Sunday in our discussion. Does that shift leave us disconnected now from creation at the beginning of the Bible? Think about it. In the beginning, the Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week precisely because that was God's pattern in creation at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So that's the way creation unfolded. That's the pattern that was established. And therefore the Sabbath day given to Israel through Moses was the seventh day. Well then, this is the question. If it's no longer the seventh day of the week, does that leave us disconnected now? From, from the significance of creation in the beginning. To put it more pointedly, as Christians, are we no longer the people of creation? Have we been so swept up in salvation, including Jesus being raised on the first day of the week, that we've left creation behind so that our feet aren't planted quite so firmly on solid ground anymore. Are we now a people for whom planet Earth and solid ground earthly living don't matter so much anymore? Great question. And that question matters. And let me say, Christian, it matters to you very practically. When you go to work, when you do the laundry, when you go to school, when you cut the grass, when you make music, when you make dinner, when you do all of those things and a thousand others like them. In other words, when you, when you stand on planet Earth and you tend to the things of solid ground earthly living, well, is it the case now as a Christian that those sorts of things are just necessary evils that you're forced to put up with because you've left creation in the rearview mirror? Is it the case that you've lifted off from planet Earth and creation is now beneath you and you've lost touch with it? I mean, just imagine, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we say, well, yeah, yeah, we're Christians now, we've moved on from that because we are first day of the week people now. Is that what we're left with since the Sabbath shifted from the seventh day to the first that we don't have that sense of connection to the original pattern? That was the question. And I loved that question. And even in the course of our sermon discussion, it got us probing this theme a little bit more deeply. And it got me more excited about this theme. And of course, the answer to that question is a resounding no. We are not cut off from God's work in creation. We are most certainly the people of God who is creator as well as redeemer. And here's the reason. The reason is, in Jesus, we've got it all. In Jesus Christ, God's double work of creation and redemption, those realities are all bound up together. 
So that for us now, as Christians, the Sabbath day is a day to rejoice in both of them. Looking back to creation and looking forward to new creation as well. Thanks to Christ. In him, in one person, all of this is bound up together. For us, the first day of the week is a day when we look all the way back to creation and all the way forward to the fulfillment of new creation in the end. In Jesus, we've got it all. And and let me say, that's why we're turning to Colossians 1, which I'm about to read for us. No, this is not a passage about the Sabbath day. But it is a passage that gives us Christ, that sets before us Christ as preeminent with respect to creation and redemption both. And that has everything to do with the way that we think about the first day of the week and our calling to keep it. Because after all, he is the Lord. And this day now is a day that we call the Lord's Day. Well then, anything in Scripture that opens our eyes to the magnificence of his lordship, it's also going to open up our eyes to the glory of this day, this first day of the week, and the blessing that it is, the rich blessing that it is to be called to keep it. So that's what we're going to have our eyes open for here in Colossians 1. We are going to focus on the passage beginning at verse 15. But let's make a running start. I'll begin reading for us at verse 9. So back up to verse 9. Here's Paul writing to the Christians in Colossae about how they have remembered them, prayed for them, Listen now to the word of God, beginning at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then we keep going. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Christ, who is the Lord. And we thank you for the gift of this Lord's day. When we get to gather like this and worship and hear your word, we pray that you would bless now the ministry of your word to our hearing that we might be not only hearers, but doers as well, according to what we hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is not uncommon among little boys on the playground that They'll try to impress each other. In fact, they'll try to outdo each other by bragging about how strong their dad is. Or maybe even their older brother. My older brother is so strong, he can pick up that car. They all look at the car. Next one pipes up. My older brother is so strong, he could pick up that truck and the car. Ooh. Next one pipes up. My older brother is so strong, he is a truck. And then they all get a little confused, and it gets quiet, and they go back to kickball. But the idea is it's reassuring to have somebody strong, somebody impressive, somebody glorious on your side. It's reassuring to be able to rest in that knowledge, and it's satisfying to be able to say so, to, to boast about it, to be able to speak about the one who is strong and impressive and glorious for you because you're in their safekeeping. Well, the Christian has that as no one else has that. The Christian can say, like nobody else, let me tell you about my older brother. Let me tell you about the one who's on my side, on the playground of religions. This one can't be trumped. This one has the final word. And that's because for the Christian, his older brother in the family of God is Jesus. And Jesus is just what Paul says in this passage. And two headings especially, and the passage falls neatly into these two. I even put it that way in your bulletin. What is true of Jesus? He is preeminent both with respect to creation, verses 15 through 17, and with respect to redemption, verses 18 through 20. Talk about impressive. You talk about mighty. You talk about glorious. This older brother who is on our side is glorious like that. Creation and redemption both. So here's what I want to do this morning. I simply want to walk through the passage to see what Paul has to say here about this twofold glory of Christ. And then when we've done that, we'll think about how this enriches our understanding of the Sabbath day. And not just this day, but the other six as well, because it matters Monday through Saturday too. So first of all, 
take a look. You can look in your bulletin or in the Bible in your lap. Verses 15 through 17. Christ reigns. He is sovereign when it comes to creation. Look at verse 15. What does Paul say about him? He says, he is the image of the invisible God. How's that for glory? He is the image of the invisible God. You think about our triune God, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, the visible incarnate Son shows us the invisible Father. The visible incarnate Son shows us the invisible Father, which is what Jesus himself said about himself to his disciples in the course of his earthly ministry. John 14, his disciple Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, Jesus says back to him. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So there's Jesus, in the course of his own ministry, making this claim about himself. He is the image of the invisible God. It's also what John says about him near the beginning of John's gospel account, way back in chapter 1, where it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The incarnate Son fully and perfectly represents to us the Father in heaven which means that the Son testifies to the Father's existence. And the Son shows us the Father's character. And the Son reveals to us the Father's purposes. The incarnate Son fully and perfectly represents the Father to us so that we can fully know the Father ourselves. And that's true for several reasons. It's true, first of all, Because the Son, as God, is just like the Father. It can be a struggle sometimes just to explain what it means to say that the Son in the Godhead is Son. But certainly this is part of it. The Son is like the Father. Because that's in part what it means to be a Son. So within the Godhead, the Son is just like the Father. And then we can keep going. It's also true because in the incarnation, the Son took to himself a true human nature. And in that sense, he entered into the experience of bearing the divine image the way we do. United with a true human nature, body and soul. So both of those things are true of him. The Son is like the Father as God. And the Son in his humanity bears the image of the Father above as we do. And so Paul can say here, he is the image of the invisible God. So he starts there. And then notice what he says next. And this one can get a little confusing, so we need to get clear on it. What does he say next? He says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. And I say we want to get clear on this, because if we don't, we will fall off into a heresy that got going early on in the history of the Christian church, 
the heresy of Arianism, which said that the Son was finally a creature. Don't be thrown by the word firstborn here, the firstborn of all creation. Paul's meaning is not that the Father's Son was the first who was born among creatures, so that the Son is a creature like us. No, it doesn't mean that. It's true, the word firstborn, it can mean something like that. It can mean literally a firstborn person, but in the Bible, it can also take on a different meaning. It can refer to a person of priority and a person of supremacy and a person with an inheritance in view. Priority and supremacy and inheritance. That's why I read from Psalm 89 for us earlier in the service. Because it says that about David. Remember Psalm 89, verse 27, speaking of David, God says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. There's that term, firstborn. And and what's being said about David there in Psalm 89? That he is going to be first in his kingly line, so there's priority. That he's going to be the highest of all kings, there's supremacy. And he is going to be destined to conquer. There's the idea of inheritance, priority, supremacy, inheritance, that idea of the firstborn with respect to David. Well, Paul's meaning here in Colossians 1 is just like that about Jesus when it comes to creation. He is before creation, priority, because he is the creator. So he's before it, priority, and he's over creation, supremacy, and he's destined to be the recipient of it in the end. There's the idea of inheritance. So with respect to Jesus and creation, you have priority, supremacy, inheritance. He is the firstborn. He's not numbered among the creatures with us. No, he is, as it's sometimes put, on the creator side of the creator-creature divide. And you can tell that that's what Paul means by what he says next. Look at verse 16. Where where is the Son? Where is Jesus? On the creator-creature divide? Well, look at verse 16. Paul says, for by him all things were created. By him or in him. So clearly, Paul is not saying here that Jesus is numbered among the creatures, even glorious among them. No, by him all things were created. And in case there's any doubt as to Paul meaning all things, he clearly means all things. What does he say next? All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In other words, by Jesus, the Son, all things were created, no exceptions. Everything you can think of, every realm in creation that you can consider, the Son with the Father and the Spirit created it all. 
And then Paul keeps going. We need more prepositions. He says all things were created through him and for him. The prepositions are piling up now. All things were created by him, which means the Son is creator. All things were created through him, which means that in some mysterious way he was the mediator of creation. And all things were created for him. Because God's purpose is that the Son be glorified by creation. That the Son be given creation for his own glory. Keep going. Look at verse 17. Paul says that the Son, Jesus, is before all things. There's that idea of priority again. Before the creation was, he is. He didn't come along at some point in time. He is before all things. And then finally, what does he say in verse 17? In him, all things hold together. So there's a claim about the present. We can go all the way back to the past, even before time. He is before all things. But now here's this claim about the present. In him, all things hold together right now. He preserves them. He holds them into being. This sounds like what the writer of Hebrews says at the beginning of his letter. Hebrews 1.3, where he says that the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power. So all of that, verses 15 through 17, that is Paul pointing us to the glory of Christ as preeminent when it comes to the created order. That's our first. And then the other, our second, our second heading is Paul's second heading here, verses 18 through 20, which is, that, which is that the same one who is sovereign like that when it comes to creation is also sovereign when it comes to redemption. So let's keep going. Look at verse 18. Paul says that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. Paul doesn't mean that Christ is the head as the top part of the body, as if the church were just the neck down. No, he means head as Lord. Christ is the Lord of the church. Christ rules. Christ reigns over the church. And then, keep going, verse 18, Paul starts using the same kind of language about redemption in the church that he was using a few verses ago when it comes to creation. He says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So there's that word firstborn again, priority, supremacy, inheritance. But now it's applied to Christ when it comes to salvation. So priority, he was the first. To enter the world of resurrection. He was the resurrection pioneer. And supremacy. He now is the ruler. Over the the realm of resurrection. And inheritance. He entered into that world. As its rightful owner. As the one who will come into the full possession of it. In the end. He is the firstborn from the dead. As the one who was raised from the dead. 
And, and what was the purpose? Paul goes on. So that in everything he might be preeminent. So that in any, everything he might be preeminent. Both in creation and now in redemption, he was first, he is Lord, he is owner. And it's not just that that's true of him with respect to these two distinct spheres, creation and redemption. It's also that there is a real connection between the two, creation and redemption. And I say that because the work of redemption is the work of new creation. Think about how it's put in Isaiah 65. God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Isaiah 65. In God's plan of salvation, this is one of the beauties of it. God's not absolutely starting over with a brand new creation. Instead, his purpose is to renew and glorify the first one. And so it's fitting that this one person should be preeminent when it comes to both, creation and new creation. Especially when you stop and think about who he is. Look at verse 19. Paul keeps going. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. To dwell. This is the fullness of deity that's to be found in this one. He's not partially God. He's not almost fully God. At that point, you're not really God. No, all the fullness of deity is to be found in him. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, he keeps going. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things, Christ died for his people, but the end result of his death to reconcile goes beyond the eternal destiny of his people. The end result is nothing less than the whole of creation perfected according to God's purposes. The whole of creation bringing him glory now. Through him to reconcile to himself all things. And then Paul says this finally, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And isn't that a striking way of putting it? A violent, bloody act, crucifixion, was in God's plan the way of making peace. A violent act, symbolized now by the cross, was God's way of bringing about peace. Because it's by the cross that we're now at peace with God. And that there's a new world in store. So that's a walkthrough. That's what we've got here in this passage. Jesus is the Lord in both of these ways. He's Lord over creation. And he's Lord over redemption. One person who is preeminent over both. One person who is firstborn with respect to both. Priority, supremacy, inheritance. Behold, Jesus, the Son of God. So that's what Paul has to say here about Christ. And that brings us 
to why I wanted us to go here this morning, which is how does this fill out our understanding of the Sabbath day? Remember, that's where we got started. That's why we've gone here today, Colossians 1. How does this fill out our understanding of the Sabbath day now for us as Christians in the Christian church? Remember the question that was posed last Sunday, the question that got us into it today. If the Sabbath is no longer the seventh day of the week, does that leave us disconnected now from creation at the beginning of the Bible? And now I think we can see more fully that the answer is a resounding no. We are the people of God who is creator as well as redeemer because in Jesus we've got it all. Well, in Colossians 1, we've got that Jesus set before us. In him it's all bound up. In Jesus Christ, creation and redemption are both summed up. He's the one who's preeminent in both. And our faith is in him. As soon as we look at the Lord on this Lord's day, both of these realities are brought into view. And how convenient, if we can put it that way, that we've just got to look at this one person, the incarnate Son, glorified now. All we've got to do is look at this one person and see it all. Creation and redemption together. Jesus is himself the creator. He's the Son of God who with the Father and the Spirit made and ordered and filled all things in the beginning. And therefore we can say as the Redeemer, we can put it this way, Jesus brings creation with him. He brings with him into the sphere of salvation where we find ourselves. He brings along with him the truth of the goodness of creation and our calling to serve him in it. We don't leave creation behind. We're not cut off from it. Jesus brings it with him. And not only that, but as I was, as I was saying last Sunday in the sermon discussion, with the resurrection of Jesus... Yes, the Sabbath shifted from seventh day to first. Well, think about the resurrection. That was God's inaugural act of new creation. So again, we don't leave creation behind. We're not cut off from it. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the launching of new creation that would glorify and fulfill the first one. And And that was the plan all along. The way that God made everything in the beginning, that was never meant to be the end. It was always meant to be the case that creation in the beginning would be raised to new heights in the end. Well, we can put it this way. Jesus is the raiser. And when he was raised on the first day of the week, the project was launched. Jesus is the raiser. Ur of creation because he was the first raise Creation in the beginning would be transformed into new creation in the end, and there's this cord that ties it all together, and the cord has the name of Jesus written on it. And this has everything to do now with how we rejoice in this day, the first day of the week. How does all of this touch down in your own Sabbath-keeping, Christian? 
Well, first of all this, when Sunday rolls around, including this one, it's a day both to look back and to look forward. For us as Christians now, Sunday is a day to worship God who is creator and redeemer alike. To worship Jesus who is creator and redeemer alike. Sunday is a day to be reminded that we've got it all. Because we've got Jesus and in him all things are to be found. We've got Jesus who is the Lord and now this day is called the Lord's Day. And so it's a day for us to be reminded that we have not been shortchanged. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Christian, all things are yours because you're in Christ. Somebody might look at the Sabbath commandment and think, oh, poor pitiful Christian." Robbed of one day in seven, deprived, shortchanged. You pitiful Christians have been robbed of 14% of your life. One day in seven. And we can answer we haven't been robbed at all. We can answer that we get to keep one day in seven when we are freshly reminded that we've got it all. That all things are ours. So let this day, the first day of the week, let this day be our one day when we both look all the way back and all the way forward to creation and new creation and be reminded of the Savior we have in whom it is all summed up. So that's how it enriches our thinking about this day. But then finally, let me say, this this should pay off Monday through Saturday as well. Because that's part of the commandment too. It's not the emphasis of the commandment, but it's in there. Remember, in the fourth commandment, it says, six days you shall labor. So we've got things to do those other six days. Worldly employments and recreations, as it's sometimes put. So when you go back to work, Monday through Saturday. When you go back to laundry. When you go back to school. When school rolls around. When you go back to music and sports and reading and exercise and everything. Everything that's good about creation that you're involved in. At that point, you have not left Sunday behind. You've not been disconnected from the Sabbath day at the beginning of the week when you have pressed on into the six days that follow. Because the Sabbath day at the beginning of the week was a chance for you to be reminded that in Jesus you've got it all. And so naturally, Monday through Saturday is your chance to live it out. Monday through Saturday is your chance to glorify Christ who is preeminent over creation as well as Redemption. The very fact that he's going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth, that alone sends the signal 
that the earthly things you do now are good to do on those six non-Sabbath days. The God who made all things is making all things new. And Christian, that includes you. The God who made all things in the beginning is making all things new for the end. And Christian, you are numbered among them. To brothers and sisters, today, first day of the week, let's rejoice in Christ in whom creation and redemption come together. And then for the next six days, until we come here again, let's live to his glory. One Savior who reigns over all. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you've given us such a Savior, preeminent, firstborn, with respect to creation and redemption alike. How wonderful that we can fix our eyes on him and see all of this, that we can trust in him and have all of this. All things are ours, for we belong to him and all things are his. So we do pray that you would grant us to keep this Sabbath day holy by resting and rejoicing in it and then pressing on in all that good that you've given us to be about in the days that follow. And we pray these things in the name of the one who is the Lord. Amen.